The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Another episode of Round Ball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. Check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos. Pretty simple. S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S, in case you didn't know. Um, online, SportsEthos.com. Pretty plain, pretty simple. And also, y'all, while you guys are at it, Please take a moment to follow Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. It is the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. All right, y'all. As always, weekly recap. We got to do at least once. The show's been kind of inconsistent. That's been on me. Uh, just, you know, dealing with things, you know, trying to make it through as we all do this winter. But, uh, well, one thing we won't miss, well, aside from last week, which was on me, is our weekly kind of look back, recap, wrap around with our friend Anarud. Uh, just talking about what we like and what we see in this league. So, Anarud, let's introduce you, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Just reveling in heroes that are Theo Pinson and Marquise Chris. Oh, yeah. You guys had a very, I mean, this is reporting this on the 21st. You guys, obviously, we listened to this, uh, guys and gals, on the 22nd. A lovely, lovely Wednesday, a payday and all. But uh, the Dallas Mavericks playing without Luka Doncic, playing without Kristaps Porzingis, playing without, you know, their water boy and a whole bunch of other people I can't name, ended up beating a Minnesota Timberwolves team that, yes, was missing Anthony Edwards, but did have the greatest shooting big in the NBA, uh, greatest shooting big ever, I might say, Carl Anthony Towns, as well as D'Angelo Russell. Uh, they went and beat the Minnesota Timberwolves in a game that, they pulled away, uh, you know, the healthy, mostly healthy Wolves kind of came back and tried to make it tight, but the Mavericks held on and, and, and got the W in a gutsy performance, 114 to 102. Uh, I'm gonna, let's start with that. What do you think about the way that you guys uh, respond in that game? It's now 15 and 15, uh, you know, with some really big uh, second and third quarters. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing that's always killed this team is like a really good center, especially a guy who can like mash you on the inside. Mm-hmm. The guys like Embiid, Jokic, Talent have always been problems. Uh, and especially like the guy that usually matches up with them is Maxi because he's kind of like the broad shoulders who has a size and mobility to kind of like play well against those guys. But he's out today. Porzingis is out today. And Powell is just not the right guy. But they brought in Marquise Chris for the 10 day and that dude's a really good job just constantly messing with towns and just pressing up on him didn't let him get to like a lot of easy shots around the post towns obviously was still able to get his points through threes and stuff but overall i think the defense was really what kept this game uh, on the maverick side and Eventually, guys just started hitting shots. Like, it's been a theme throughout this entire season that the Mavs can't hit shots. But over the last couple of games, everyone's percentages have been going up. So it's a good sign. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. And like you said, Marquise Chris came, uh, hit a tough jumper with the shot clock running down. Uh, like you said, was a kind of professional irritant. He's bounced around, got a lot more mature than his early years with the Phoenix Suns. I think the Golden State Warriors, um, that helped a lot, just him kind of learning that professionalism and, and becoming more of a guy that, yeah, he can be a star in his role, you know? Uh, for someone that was drafted, uh, you know, extremely early. I don't think that it's any um, flaw to say it was a misfire in drafting him where he was. Um by the end of the day, I mean, look where he's kind of recovered and, and, and made himself into a really, you know, just decent NBA professional. Uh, yeah, drafted eighth in the 2016 draft. I Wow, just crazy. But six points, yeah, that five 2016 boards. 2016 uh-huh. draft was uh, – it's, it's not a fun draft. No, it's crazy looking back on it because, I mean, for one, you're right, it wasn't very fun. Um, although, I mean, your first overall pick, of course, Ben Simmons – uh, the most win shares actually is between DeMontis Sabonis, Ben Simmons, and Pascal Siakam. And there's only five All-Stars from that draft. Uh, all of them, aside from Simmons, with some question mark. Well, actually, aside from Simmons and Pascal Siakam, you have, of course, Sabonis, Brandon Ingram, my guy, and Jalen Brown. But, yeah, I mean, you had such luminaries as Dragon Bender and Chris Dunn drafted four and five. Marquise Chris, Yaka Pertle, and Thon McCurr drafted eight, nine, and ten. Uh, Georges Papianis and Denzel Washington, 13 and 14. I mean, you know, Henry Ellison went before both Malik Beasley and Karis Levert. Wild. Well, in this draft, Pascal Siakam slipped to 27. Like, Pascal was also just like a really weird player. Yeah. He's, he was nowhere near what he is now. He was, he was a really raw project. But he but, has, like, you take Papianis over him back then? <laughs> so. I, I pulled up my uh, initial draft board. Okay. Uh, this was really early on, so, like, my thinking's changed since then. But oh, of course. They don't hold this on the record. Here's on my top ten. All right. Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons, Drogan Bender, Chris Dunn, Jalen Brown, Deonta Davis, Marquise Chris, uh, Timothy Luau Cabrera, Wade Baldwin, and Yaka Pertle. Wow. Okay. I mean, there's a mix of some good folks in there and some more questionable ones. But again, like you could tell that you kind of went off of like your own uh, thinking and, and scouting back then, but also some, you know, consensus, I'd say consensus picks. Like Marquise Chris, I think was like kind of slotted around that area, right? Yeah. I mean, like a lot of my concerns was exactly what happened. Like he had really nice size and athleticism and he had a little bit of a shooting touch, but mm-hmm. the guy wasn't a good rebounder. His vision was pretty bad. And he really wasn't a good defender. Like, he was a crazy offensive rebounder. But my thing was, like, guys who can't pass rebound or defend scare me. And the only reason I bet try to bet on him was because he was really young and he had that kind of athletic upside. But (laughs) my final statement was I felt like there was more risk than upside on him. And that's kind of what happened. But he is playing a little good. He's played, played well tonight, so hopefully he can stick around and just be a solid player. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I like the way that he's finding his way back in, you know. Bumby Rose, but at the end of the day, he, he made it happen. He triumphed through some adversity, and look at him make an impact on this Dallas team. But let's talk about, I guess, Dallas, really by an extension, the NBA. You could make an argument that a lot of NBA teams are really playing shorthanded and just racked with – COVID, uh, specifically this new Omni variant. Uh, uh, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, met was on a 
what's it called, was on NBA Today with uh, Malika Andrews and, and told her that the league has no plans to suspend its season as COVID continues to surge. Uh, apparently, these are his words, quote, no plans right now to pause the season. We have, of course, looked at all the options, but frankly, we're having trouble coming up with what the logic would be behind pausing right now. As we look through these cases literally ripping through the country, let alone the rest of the world, I think we're finding ourselves where we sort of knew we were going to get to over the past several months, and that is this virus will not be eradicated, and we're going to have to learn to live with it. I think that's what we're experiencing in the league right now. Now, the NBA is already going to postpone seven games over the past week, including five over the past three days, as this Omicron variant of COVID-19 has literally swept through the league. Um, but Anirudh, I want to get your take on this because I get it. I just don't – I think that whichever way the NBA goes with this, there's no right way, and it kind of sucks, but, like, it, it kind of feels like the reality. It just is what it is. What do you think? Yeah, I think, like, in a way – I understand the NBA's position. Like you don't want to lose all these games and a lot, a big percentage of your player population is like, what is it? 97% is vaccinated mm-hmm. and something like 90% is boosted. I forgot the exact percentage, but a significant number is boosted. So theoretically, like you shouldn't be too worried about an outbreak, but the thing that always kind of bothered me was you have all these um, arenas where the fans don't have to be masked up. And they don't really have to take any precautions. And it's usually the players who are being more careful than the fans. And I don't see why, if you're going to allow fans, you have to have them be careful. Because otherwise, you're just kind of wasting the point of having all the players be vaccinated. If the fans can just be unvaccinated or have no mask and just constantly talking, it's just, it's not a good look. Um, Mm -hmm. The Nets with Kyrie. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of that move. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, unless I'm going to just to kind of get my, my two cents on that. I feel like, here's the thing. If, if the net, the Nets look even worse now having made that, they put that mandate on themselves about, okay, you, you can't play away games. He can't, you know, um, practice at the home, right? Like, they did that themselves. Bradley Beal, uh, to the best of our knowledge, still is not taking the vaccine, has played, and when he hasn't played, he hasn't played, and it's not been an issue, right? You could say, you know, it's Kyrie Irving, it's Brooklyn, all of that. But the point being, Bro- Brooklyn put more pressure on themselves when they went and decided, okay, Kyrie, you are not going to play. We're going to remove from the situation and then decide to bring you back. You know, like, I don't think it's a double whammy that he's playing because if he was already allowed to play, it wouldn't, I don't think it would have been an issue. You know what I mean? Like, away games. It would have been, like, talked about, of course, but it wouldn't have looked as bad as it does now. And the fact that he's playing because we decided to renege on our original agreement because we didn't want to cause a distraction, but now we think it's okay to cause a distraction. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like you took a stand that everyone seemed to respect and like, and it made sense at the time. But if you're going to suddenly change it, it's like, what was the point of your stand in the first place? Like, is it is he not going to be a distraction now? Like, he just wanted the protocols immediately. So your whole argument just kind of makes no sense when you're immediately going to go back on it once things get tough. And yeah, I mean, hopefully no one gets sick or has much uh, serious cases. I I don't think the NBA has seen too many serious cases yet. Most of them seem to be asymptomatic. So hopefully that's how it stays, but it's just, I'm not a fan of how it seems like they're taking it a bit lightly. Mm Mm-hmm. But then again, if everyone seems to be vaccinated, or at least a huge percentage, then the league should be relatively good. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're going to have to weather the storm. And that's, I guess, my other issue right now. I love the fact that the NBA is giving a lot of players uh, from the D-League shots back in the league if you're an older vet like a C.J. Miles or Lance Stevenson or Isaiah Thomas. We're getting young guys more of a chance. I mean, we talked about the return of uh, Theo Pinson and, and other guys who haven't had, you know, and are having, let's say, more of an opportunity now than they had had originally. That's, that's great, well and good. I just don't like the fact that with the series of 10-day contracts and everything going on there, that it feels like, especially with the Omicron variant kind of tearing its way through, that they're it just kind of feels cheap. It feels like they're disposable. You know what I mean? Like we're going to roster these players. They're going to stop what they're doing, interrupt their thing. They're going to get their shot. They're going to get their 10 days and they might stick around. They probably won't. Then they'll go back because the show must go on. Like that's how it feels. And I get it. Like at the end of the day, you know, the NBA is, you know, it prides itself on trying to be, you know, forward thinking and socially conscious, but at the end of the day, it's a business, you know, they're trying to make money. Bottom line, uh, you can suit up, you can put on the purple and gold, you can put on, you know, the Suns uniform, uh, Nets uniform, whatever. Okay, great. But at the end of the day, for these players, I just wonder if, like, outside of, like, really crazy performances, will they actually get, like, an actual shot aside from just being bodies to have these teams meet the minimum quota with which to continue play? Yeah, and, like, at times like this, I wonder, like, is it possible to just stop? But then again, if you stop the season what's to guarantee that the players won't change their habits and potentially get more infected like right now at least the nba has some control over the players mm-hmm. and theoretically if you were to stop like if guys are not being confined to their city it might be a little worse so uh tom haberstroh had this tweet earlier where we talked about the christmas day games yeah 35 players are in protocols right now who are supposed to play on Christmas Day, including Giannis, Katie, Kyrie, Harden, Trey, RJ Barrett, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, and a lot more. Wow. So the big marquee games on Christmas, no one knows who's going to play on them. Like, just look at the Lakers-Nets games. That's going to be horrible right now as KD, Kyrie, and Harden are all out, in addition to what, LaMarcus Aldridge and several other key bench players? players right like at this point they should just have the g league showcase be christmas day wow Bring in all the g league guys okay on a bold on a route okay we now interrupt your regularly scheduled programming for mind you i wouldn't mind that in fact one of my gripes is the fact that we can't just ask the g league showcase just on demand as part of nba league pass yeah it's it's been a gripe of mine that the g league isn't as easy to watch games you just kind of have to hope that you can find them on YouTube or some other streaming exactly. service. Exactly. Hope you run to an unlisted one. I'm really irked by that. Like, you want to give these guys attention. You know, let, let's let's watch them. Not just, like, the 10-minute condensed games or the three-minute clips or whatever is shown on, you know, ESPN or, or NBA um, TV. Like, let's have access to these games, you know? But I, I would like that. It would be kind of cool. Yeah, I hope that, like, when the G League Ignite happened, like, the NBA would at least try to market them a little more. Just because it's an NBA owned exactly team, but they get the exposure. I guess exactly. Hopefully, it's something that they can do in the future. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's you gonna have be to a lot of players thing, coming up. Huh? There's gonna be a lot of players from the G League who are just gonna get an opportunity, and I mean, hopefully, they get a chance to at least show off. But mm-hmm. in the long run, it you, you know just that not. Many of these players are going to stick around, and a lot of them are just going to be playing for these few games and then go back to the G League or be unsigned for the rest of the year. 
Oh, it's absolutely. Just, it's a tough situation. It is. It's not fair, but it is kind of what it is when it comes to that. And that, and that's, and that's 100% the, the truth. It's, it, it's an unfortunate, but well, at this point, current situation. Um, but speaking of that, I guess unfortunate situation was horrible. The transition as this is, let's talk about my Lakers, bro. What's going on? I mean, as we're recording this, they're, they're going to lose to the Suns, uh, barring a miraculous LB, uh, LBJ game or Isaiah Thomas, who has missed, I think, his last six threes going off or or something. I just don't see it happening. So they're going to lose, right? Uh, you are not going to have AD services for the next month. Uh, you're slumping. COVID protocols have hit hard. Uh, injuries have also obviously been a huge factor. Trevor Reza, literally in his second game after missing, what, all the season up to this point? Um, Kendrick Nunn still out. LeBron James twisting an ankle in this game. We'll have to see kind of how he recovers uh, moving forward here. He's still playing through it, but he played through the last injury he had, and then he was out for an extended stretch. Uh, we were talking about a stat just before we came on air on the route that LeBron's um, first, what, 14 years? No, first, uh, yeah, first uh, uh, 13, 14 years, he missed 70 games total. Last four seasons, he's missed 40, I mean, 70 games on. Like, it, 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 and as dominant as he's been, because mind you, even now, he's been putting up huge numbers on on the set, on the on the lake on the Suns. He's been one of the Lakers' key performers as he's been all year. And honestly, before this injury, uh, with AD out, you know, media is wondering, okay, can LeBron be LeBron? Which is just a crazy thing to expect for a 37-year-old to be like the best player on a team with championship expectations. I don't care how great you are, just for an extended stretch, but. Looking at this roster and these holes and everything, what, what do you what do you think about all this? Because it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So, I was thinking about the Heat earlier this year, today, and just mm-hmm. how they were kind of in similar situation to the Lakers in terms of like they had their three big guys, um, and you need to fill your roster, and the Heat they filled a lot of minimum guys. So they took in, they have Oladipo, who's kind of like this wild card just sitting there. Yeah, the Morris brother. But you got they got guys like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, and just like young players who are playing well for them. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers just kind of got guys who were on the 2010 All-Star team. It's like, what, what are you guys doing? <laughs> but in general, like, so if there's any source of optimism, uh, over the last two weeks, their defense, they're, they're third in the league of defense, but who have they played? Mm-hmm. It hasn't really been that great of a competition. And AD is the guy that's just really concerned me. Like I, I watched him in that Dallas game, and he just did not look right. He was getting flustered by double teams, which – always kind of bothered him but no, yeah he's not that dominant post presses like that yeah he's he's just never been that kind of guy who's dealt with double team full but like it really got to him in this game uh his shooting just it seems like more and more that that bubble was mirage and that he's not this great outside shooter his mid-range was also like what got him through the playoffs that in the bubble and that's not in the same his defense i think has also gone down quite a bit he's not that same like switchable defensive anchor that dominated the heat so i'd be concerned and without davis like you're probably gonna have to go to more lebron at center lineups yeah but the problem is like 
sure Ariza's back, but you don't really have a lot of like forwards who are long and versatile, like playing Carmelo at the four. That's not good defensively. And offensively, I think they'll be fine with LeBron at the five, but defensively, it's just going to be much harder because Ariza would be fine, hopefully, if he could play, but that's kind of your only other forward-sized guy who's a versatile defender. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And you, that's the thing. I mean, even now when the Lakers go small, uh, they had lineups uh, even as much as this past night's game where you're playing Isaiah Thomas, Rajon Rondo, and Russell Westbrook all together alongside Taylor Horn Tucker and Wayne Ellington or Taylor Horn Tucker and LeBron James. Like, that's a legit lineup that they've been using. And that's, and that's as much to lack of bodies as there is to a lack of, 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 of actual size. All due respect, LeBron James on the back line as a defender is great, but when tasked against a DeAndre Ayton or an actual legit center, um, that's not an ideal option. Yeah, so, like, all right. Mm-hmm. You're the Lakers fan here, so you're probably going to need to help me out more with this, but do you really think this team could sustain a month without AD? Because I I think there there's a chance that this could go really badly because their next couple of games are mm-hmm. they have let's say he misses about like 13 games, which is about four weeks. Okay. They have a lot of key matchups against the Bulls, Suns, Nets, Grizzlies, Nuggets. And there's not we don't even know if he's gonna return in four weeks. He's just gonna be checked up. So there's a chance he could miss potentially more. And that could be a hard window to miss. Yeah, I tend to think that he will, to be honest with you. And that and that and that kind of sucks, but I, I just don't see I just don't see how they sustain it for a long period with a hampered LeBron. If LeBron's healthy, I think that's what water. LeBron's still that good that I think he can sustain you know, an above average offense and a, and a pretty stout defense, even with the defenders or lack thereof on this roster. You know what I mean? I think if they just had some more help aside from AD, they'd be better. But even without that, I think they'll be okay. Now, mind you, if LeBron is out for any stretch, it's not going to be pretty. And we saw um, some games like that last year. In fact, that was a key little stretch where the Lakers out without the service of LeBron and AD, and you're struggling to sustain offense. You know, you're looking at Dennis Schroeder and Montrose Howell to be key offensive consistent weapons at the starting lineup and then you know waiting for whatever impact Andre Drummond had and the whole mess that that was like this team is not built to withstand uh sustained games without LeBron or AD and and it's top heavy uh in a major way I think they try to correct that with the addition of Russell Westbrook but and it hurts me to say this you know he's I don't think that he is capable of that at this stage of his career yeah, at this point, it's looking more and more like the Lakers are probably going to be in that play-in range. But a lot of these guys, like Carmelo's starting to cool off a bit. Uh, they're two bigs, DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard, can only play about like 15 minutes a game. They're not guys you want really playing too much. Mm-hmm. And DeAndre Jordan has just been awful. Yeah. Yeah, he's been he, he he only gives you one effort per play, like per possession. Like if he's on the offensive side, you'll get one actual you know uh, uh, honest attempt at a lob 
or good offensive rebound, whatever the case may be. Defensively, you get one good rotation, maybe a, a straight up block or something like that, or you know, but that's it. Like after he's done that one move, it's like the video game, like when you play 2K and the energy meter's down and you get summoned up for one little burst and you have to wait till it reloads and it takes forever since you have nothing left. That's how he is, except that it's not an energy thing with with um DeAndre Jordan. It's more of like a like an effort thing. And it, it's kind of sad, especially for a team again that this championship aspirations, like you're in a, a what year. 19 for LeBron, you know, AD saying he has nothing to prove at age 29, uh, playing just horrific since the bubble. I mean, I mean, this team, you have vets, Rajon Ronda, Russell Westbrook, um, all these guys, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Reza, that are here to win, in some cases win again. And this is the type of effort that you convincingly, like, not convincingly, like, but consistently show. It's, it's pretty tragic. You know how there are guys who, like, their play kind of suffers after – they get a big extension. They play really hard that the uh, final year. They get the extension. They start to go back to their old habits. Mm-hmm. Feels like '80s that, but he did that after winning the championship, where he's just kind of like not been the same guy. Like he's still good, but he's not the same level. Like in the bubble, he was arguably like either the best player or the second best player. He was just that dominant, mm-hmm. and he hasn't even been close to that for the last two years. No, he hasn't. And it's, it's it's pretty apparent. And it's not even just that. It's like you don't bring guys. I mean, you pick Russell Westbrook. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan, so I can't even get too mad at that, right? But you – I mean, I can because you have other guys like DeMar DeRozan who could have been an option, other guys like, you know, even a simple Buddy Hill trade. Okay, you don't do any of that. You put all your eggs in the Russell Westbrook basket. Then basically choosing between Alex Caruso and uh, Taylor Horn Tucker, you choose Caruso. He's been a valuable cog for the Bulls. Uh you know, Taylor Horn Tucker shooting uh, 40% from the field, 20% from three, and like 70% from the line. Like, it's horrible. When LeBron James put 34 points on 13 and 19, and you're still down by 12, and like with no chance of getting better because your defense is just paper thin resistance, and your offense outside of LeBron is, is just horrific. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. And I think this is where my question goes to you before I let go of the Lakers topic. How much blame goes on A? The players, B, Frank Vogel, or C, Rob Palenka. Like from from least to most, where do you uh, proportion the most or assign the most blame? So I think Frank Vogel, to me, deserves the least of the blame. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't fault him too much with how bad the roster is. Um, The thing with the players, though, is like how much of the player personnel decision was LeBron. Because as much as I want to believe that Rob Palenka ha- was like the guy running everything, LeBron's kind of the guy who's known to be the one who runs things in the background and makes a lot of player personnel decisions. So for this, I'm just going to assume LeBron and Rob Palenka are together on this. Mm-hmm. And that's where it laid most blame. Like you already have an older aging LeBron who's breaking down slowly you bring in Westbrook, which theoretically, like, I get the idea. You want someone who can run things without LeBron. So I, I think there are better options, but whatever. You got Westbrook. who's solid. AD, who's theoretically in his prime, but mm-hmm. is a guy that can get hurt pretty quickly and will miss a lot of time. And your options were you can get a couple of young guys, which, to their credit, they got Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn. 
and Kendrick Nunn hasn't been able to play, but then you just sign a bunch of really older vets who mm-hmm. I get the idea of bringing in like Dwight Howard. He was there for the championship year. He was still, he could still provide something. So, okay. But then you brought in DeAndre Jordan at the same time. It's like, what? Why the you the, the logic in that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I can agree with that. The logic in that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then if you want to bring an offense, like, sure, Wayne Ellington, like, he's okay, but I think there are better options out there on the market they can get, or at least try to. And then the thing that sucks is, like, you know what the other deal was. You had the Spuddy Heel deal, which could have left you with space to do something else because you wouldn't have to give up all the assets. So and had like some reserves. Just been stuck. Yeah. You could have kept KCP. Or a Kuzma, like you can kept one of those pieces that would help you. But so yeah, I think management is the biggest issue right now, just because I don't think this team was constructed right, and it's not like it's a big mystery. Like everyone knew this was gonna be an awkward and weird fit. Mm-hmm. The hope was, as long as I have peak LeBron James and peak AD, that I think a lot I can of- win a championship. Yeah, but. LeBron has been breaking down and AD has just not been that guy. So there's no way this team can win a title right now. No, and it's a shame, but it's a sad reality right now. I just don't know. I don't know what moves uh, it'll be for a future episode. I don't know what moves the Lakers can do, you know, with a bunch of minimum contracts. The only guy getting paid, what, more than what the veteran minimum and like a suit, like a max is, is Taylor Horn Tucker and he's playing abysmal. I, I just don't understand how, the Lakers improve from this and it's sad, but it's just a reality right now of where they are. And it's, I don't know. It's a mess. It's a mess, but enough tragedy in my part. I had to just kind of grasp a little bit. Uh, what's something you've seen over the last uh, week and a half uh, on a route that you want to talk about here. All right. Can we talk about how the Cavs are like one of the best teams in the NBA? Dude. Yes, we have to, we have to. Uh, I did not see Cleveland being as good as they were. Uh, I have no shame in my game in admitting that. They have been on an absolute tear. And, like, they're showing stuff that, I mean, this is sustainable. You know, they've withstood the loss of Evan Mobley for times, Jared Allen. Even now, they're over um, – I mean, they have both those guys in, in COVID protocols as well. They sit third in the Eastern Conference. Again, third in the East. Like, in, in my this isn't LeBron James. This is this is some cast success we haven't seen since well since before LeBron. I, I mean this type of success without him. They're 19 and 12. 19 and 12. This is this is crazy. Offensively, they're right in the middle of the pack. They're 15 offensive rating, but they're second in defensive rating, fourth in net rating. And they have had just a well-balanced squad, even though I'm gonna read the whole list of guys who are out right now in health and safety protocols. Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. Ed Davis, Isaac Coro. Remember, Consex is out for the year. Lamar Stevens is still in COVID protocol. Denzel Valentine, Dylan Windler, RJ Nemhart. Like, all these guys are out with COVID protocols, with the exception of Consex, who's out for the rest of the year with that torn meniscus. And it's like, okay, we don't have those guys, no problem. Even when we did, we were still sustaining. And you have Darius Garland, who's been flourishing, you know, in his third year in this lead guard role. 19 points per game, seven assists, shooting 39% from three, on six attempts per game, uh, just playing with a lot of force and confidence. Jared Allen and, and Evan, Evan Mobley have been just tag teaming. Uh, Allen's averaging 16 points and 10 boards. Mobley's averaging 13 points and eight boards. Both are teaming up for over a block uh, and a half a game. 
where do you want to go with this on these guys are just this 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 Cavs team is i don't know what i'm saying but they're monsters yeah like right now according to clean glass they're the best team in the east and it's not close they're their net rating is 6.3 right now. Mm-hmm. The next best team is Brooklyn at 4.1. They're almost two points ahead of them. And it's all defensively. Like, offense, they're they're average, but it's all on the defensive end. And, like, in the offseason, like, I loved Mobley. I had him as the best prospect. I was expecting him to fit in this well just because you brought in Jared Allen and Larry Martin, and they're running this weird three big lineup. Credit to them, it's working. You have Mobile who can slide out of the perimeter and can facilitate and just does a lot of the connecting things where he just connects a lot of things on a lot of players. He can make all these plays and he does well. Got Jared Allen, who's becoming a better inside scorer. And his rare protection paired with Larry Marketing just being a long guy on the wing mm-hmm. and being able to shoot. This team is just getting things to work. And even without Sexton, you have Garland, who's taking a leap, and Ricky Rubio being a solid bet. You can just bring in that leadership. This is a team that's just playing really well, and I think this is, has to be, like, one of the best young cores in the NBA, almost like the Grizzlies of the East. And I think in the next couple of years, like, if they can fill up that wing spot, mm-hmm. this is going to be a really good team in the future. How do you think they target that? Is there a trade? Are we, are we looking at this Cavs team possibly being a, a goodness forbid, a buyout candidate team for, 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 for targets to say, you know what, there's a need. This team is rising. I want to play with Cleveland. Yeah, I think it's way too early to like really go for buyout because like they're good, but I don't think they're going to win uh, the East anytime no, soon. Absolutely not. So, like I, I want to see how they fill that hole. Yeah, so buyouts, I think, I mean, sure, if you want just, like, a guy for the year, that's fine. But I would look into um, potentially in this draft, there might be some guys. But, like, I, I have to, I'd have to see what picks they currently have because mm-hmm. they're not going to be a lottery for the next couple of years. So hopefully you can make some moves on the margins, maybe get a wing that can fill up. Like, I like what Memphis did this year where they traded Valanciunas and they were able to move up in the draft to get a guy like Zaire Williams, who is really raw and had a bad year in college, but just has a lot of potential as a shot-creating wing. And if he pans out, that's the kind of guy Grizzlies would need. And say to give me separate Cleveland. But, so I would look make a move like that. That makes sense. And I like that. Just something to address that. What do you think this ceiling is with this team right now? I mean, obviously, I don't see them finishing at the very top in the East. I don't even really see them maybe third. I see them maybe like a four or five team. But, like, they've been playing like a top three team. And what do you think the ultimate ceiling is? Do you think they could do it Atlanta Hawks and come up with a uh, with a second-round uh, conference finals uh, appearance? Or kind of where I see them more like a second-round exit type team? Uh, I think they could probably be a team that could get into the second round. Like, if depending on the matchup in the first round, I think they could beat most of the teams in the East. They're just that good defensively. And with their size, like, no one really seems to have an answer for just how big they are. Mm-hmm. So unless they're going to get someone like Milwaukee, that's just – their size is just going to be 
a lot for teams to deal with, especially at the rebounding and, and the defensive glass. So I think they could potentially make it to the second round. They might be able to get further if it's the right opponent, but these guys are also really young. So expecting them to do too much might be a little premature. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get that. I think that maybe, I don't know. I, I look at this, like, I, I guess like the Hawks, but I think it's fool's goal if they make it, you know, if they, if they advance that far favorable matchups, obviously I don't want to, to speak this new existence, but COVID being a factor and other things as well. But at the same time, like it could happen. This, this squad is legit. Ricky Rubio has been playing like the best. I mean, he has been playing like he is the best backup point guard in the NBA. You know, guys that are making just sustainable performances. And they're trying hard. And that, and that alone is, it, 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 it's stuff that can last. Yeah, for sure. This is just, it's a lot of fun to watch them play too. Mobley is just a really unique power forward who plays. So I, I, I had this comparison earlier today. Uh, I'm when I say this comparison, I'm not comparing the skill level of the players or anything. Uh-oh. All right, let's hear it. So I said the Mobley Jared Allen duo reminds me a bit of Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes. Oh, wow. Okay, I just talented uh, front court, like but defensively just exceptional on impact. Is that what you mean? So, like, the way I meant it was. You had Wes Unseld was the guy who would play in the high post, a passer, great outlet passer, but just you kind of be the guy who facilitates a lot of the offense. And Elvin Hayes was the, the interior defender and inside scorer. And Jared Allen's kind of been that. He's been the guy that can get to the post. He can score a bit. And Mobley's been the guy who's facilitating from the outside. So it just it, it reminded me a little bit of them, but obviously – Wes Unseld, one of the greatest players. So yeah. can't compare them in terms of talent, but but I know what you mean. These guys have that. yeah, and there's there's, gonna, there's a lot of room for these guys to grow. These guys are both very early in their career. Well, Jared Allen's only in like year five or so, you know. Um, I think he is. Now I gotta check that out. I know Evan Mobley obviously is a rookie, but like these guys are young. There's there's hope there. And listen, yeah, while those may be lofty goals for them to kind of get to, it's not I'm not looking at these guys going, Oh yeah, I see no upside. Like honor Ridge are crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like earlier in the year, like I was really questioning whether you could play these two bigs together, but just how good Mobley is at being this perimeter oriented big. Mm-hmm. aside from his shot like it's been really good these two can play with they have a really nice synergy with each other and overall this team is just playing really well yeah that's true that's true and i, I love the way they're coming together that's one thing it's one of those success stories you gotta like and yeah he's drafted uh 22nd overall in 2017 so definitely but um yeah let, let's hit one last final note here on the road what's one other thing you want to kind of get over here it's been it's been a weird week. Like, I've not been totally impressed by the quality of basketball just due to COVID kind of just re- rearing its ugly head. But at the same time, it's been, it's not like you can't take away anything from this week. There's been some things. Do you want to talk about the Heat and just kind of run they've been on? Let's do it. So, the Heat have been without Jay Butler for quite a few games. They're been without Bam, who's going to be out for a while with the, uh, I think, thumb injury. Mm-hmm. And 
if you're looking for someone to kind of be the guy who takes up the mantle and scores, you'd assume it would be like Kyle Lowry or Tyler Hero. But the guys it's been has been Gabe Vincent, Dwayne Dedman, uh, one of the Martin twins, I can't remember which one, Max Struess, and it's just oh, yeah. a lot of these young guys playing really well. They're doing it, man. They're really doing it. I think that they came and knocked down. I mean, this was a team that was that was um this Heat team was under man. I mean, they haven't had Bam out of bio or Jimmy Butler for a large part of the season, but they're getting like just inspired performances from all up and down the roster. And these guys are playing Miami Heat basketball, which it doesn't always translate to pretty, but usually translates to effective. Yeah, and a lot of these guys are just I think everyone talks about heat culture and the way they have fitness be such an important part yep. of their players. But I think the other thing that people have to remember is like their shooting development is really good. And a lot of these guys, they're becoming good shooters. Like the Martin twins, they weren't good shooters earlier in their career. Mm-hmm. And he just suddenly goes to Miami and he can shoot. I think he's still leading the league in three point percentage. At least yeah. he was at some point. And a lot of it's development and, and, and working at your craft for sure. But what they do is they put you in position to succeed and then you have to outwork, you know, they, they force you to outwork your competition, outwork your opponent. And, you know, when you have the opportunity and that hard work, it, it comes up to great. Yeah. It's just been, it's been really nice to see these young guys play well. So the heat, they're just marching along. I think they have the ninth best offense and the eighth best defense right now. So they're still top 10 in both, and they look like a good team. So hopefully, once they get Bam and Jimmy back, they could be a good team. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to give a shout-out to the Pelicans. Uh, they're only two games out of 10th place now in the West. That's the final playing tournament spot. Uh, we have to remember, they were 3-16 and 16 not too long ago. But since then, they've beaten some really good opponents, and they have been 8-5 and five since. Like, this isn't – this Pelicans team, man, I mean, they just had a, a really inspiring win over the Portland Trailblazers where you had uh, not only Brandon Ingram go off for 28, 8, and 8, but also Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's been shooting just awful this season, uh, come alive for 27 big points and I think 6 to 8 from 3. Uh, you know, if they get – they had good play all season from Jonas Valanciunas. Um, you know, we still have a little bit of a ways away for Zion, but Devontae Graham has been playing well offensively. Um, Herbert Jones has been playing well defensively. Like, these guys are coming together in a little bit of a way that – I. It, who knows? Like it's in play, especially with the Western Conference and the way that things are going, as unpredictable as they are, uh, just made worse, obviously, with COVID protocols. Yeah, no, I'm not doing this. New Orleans is banned. <laughs> you wouldn't give me that. Orleans. You weren't gonna give me that. No, okay. So they have been playing well. Uh defensively, they've been looking better, but the thing that does worry me is that their opponents haven't been shooting really well against them. So maybe that normalizes in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, like I think Brandon Ingram just being back after he being out so long, it's going to help them. Just another offensive weapon. And Valentinus has just been this steady force for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, he was one of the better steady forces last year. And he's just kind of do the same thing now. So they're an interesting team, but they still have all their big problems with Zion. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I, I think it's still, it's still, it's not going to be, I don't know. It's not going to be pretty if they even get there you know like if the Pelicans get there but I'm just saying I've been impressed with the way they bounce back if nothing else is been inspirational the way that they had it just a god-awful start 
and have somehow managed to claw back into a much better situation, you know, uh, whatever that situation may turn out to be. For sure. All right. So I do want to give a quick shout out to Alpern Shingun. All right. My guy. He's finally getting minutes in Houston, and he has been amazing. Yeah. No, Alpern Shingun, man. I, I, dude, that guy, for the way he was picked and the way he's been able to make an impact on this Houston Rockets squad, it, it has been crazy. Um, the stats don't pop off the page. Nine points, four rebounds, two assists. You know, shooting just under 50% from the field, just under 30% from three. But when you look at the way he plays, you know, and not, we're not even looking at just the, you know, however you feel about PER, 18 PER, but like some of the passes he makes, the consistent rebounding, uh, his low post uh, uh, just skills down there. Like the guy is, the guy is not bad. The guy is not bad. If anything, he's a steal for where he was uh, picked overall. Yeah, I thought his drop was crazy on draft night. I thought he should have been a top 10 pick. I had him six, I think, on my board. But so right now, his assist percentage is 22. It's the 94th percentile. Uh, it's better than Sabonis, Towns, and Bam. Uh, Jokic is obviously the gold standard. He's at 37%, which no one is touching. And Draymond is at 31. But Shingun is just this really nice player down in the low post. He's a solid playmaker. And his footwork is just really clean and nice to look at. Hey, it, it looks good. It works. He's skilled. He's polished. You could tell that, um, like, the experience that he kind of brings to the table from just knowing how to play and adapting to this game has happened quickly, uh, even at such a young age, for a 19-year-old kid. Just to be able to do what he's doing right now over 30 games, it's definitely impressive for sure. Uh, we're going to have to start he's adding He's starting that. to look I'm, a bit like the ice cream man. Like who? The ice cream man, Louis Scola. Oh, wow. You know what? I was thinking that when I saw him at Summer League, bro. Like, yeah. just the way he kind of undersized, like, he does, and he plays bigger than his size on the offensive end. He was almost smaller than the size of the defensive end uh, during Summer League. But the way he goes down to work and just breaks out the old, you know, low post toolbox, yeah, yeah, I have to agree. There, there's something there for sure. Uh, dude, uh, that's going to be the one thing I'm starting looking forward to. That's, like, my favorite comp next to when I compared um, um, DeMarcus Cousins to uh, Derek Coleman back in the day. Derek Coleman, wow. Yep, I went back. I went way back for that. And I wasn't reading around for Derek Holm, but like I watch a lot of old basketball. I'm sure you do too. So you, you know, you know, you know the comparison there. But um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of fun, this has been a rather abbreviated recap. Me and Anaru usually go longer. Um, but we'll get back to. You. We're getting back regular here. Uh, Anaru, I do appreciate you coming on again. Uh, just talking some NBA music. We have to come up with a name for this, like NBA potpourri. I don't know what it's going to be called. But we got to come up with something. Just call it the Theo Pinson chat. The Theo Pinson chat. You know what? Don't 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 tempt me. I might just do it. <laughs> but listen, man, thanks again for hopping on. You know, I appreciate you. Yeah, for sure. Happy to be here. Awesome, y'all. And listen, y'all, you know where to find uh, on the route. Well, here every week. So definitely make sure to check him out uh here on Rambo Ramble. You can find me on Twitter at Corbin MBA. Uh Rambo Ramble, you can find with Sports Ethos. So again, online sportsethos.com on Twitter, at Sports Ethos. Uh, you definitely want to make sure that you regain that content uh, that is there for the taking, for sure. So hop on board with that. Also, 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 please, again, follow Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Again, Ethos Fantasy BK. Get your analysis. 
get all the news, fasten the competition, get to work, get to following. All right, y'all, for Honor Rude, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.